are listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Henry, would you like to join me in listening to Fan Holes, the pop culture podcast made for fans by fans? I don't know, Vision. I mean, can the Fan Holes even be considered living beings? I think it might be best if we just shut them off. For good. Well, if you are going to be such a Deborah Downer about it, I'll just ask someone else. Ah, my respected fellow Avenger Sabretooth, would you like to listen to fan holes with me? Anything to get out of that room you guys lock me in? I'll join ya if Pim's gonna be such a whiny little frail about it. Show some respect, Creed, or I'll take your litter box away. No, Pa. I'll be good. I'll be good. Hey guys, welcome back to another tiny rific episode of Fanholes Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be your Pim Particle shrunken host for this evening. And joining me tonight are two, count them, two of my fellow Pim Particle shrunken fellow fanholes. Why don't you give a shout out, guys, and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike, and I'm the Scientist Supreme. <laughs> hey, guys, this is Tony, and you're all just kids, just stupid kids. This is your chance to earn that look in your daughter's eyes, to become the hero that she already thinks you are. It's time about saving our world. It's about saving theirs. Scott, I need you to be the Ant-Man. So, if you haven't figured it out, as you are listening to this, the extravaganza Marvel Bonanza movie Ant-Man should be out in theaters. So, in honor of the Marvel movie premiere of Ant-Man, we wanted to cover some comic books that dealt with the character. So what we ended up settling on is two fairly recent series. Uh, the first one that we're going to discuss is FF, and FF basically features Scott Lang, who is the current Ant-Man and the star of the cinematic Marvel Universe version of Ant-Man. So we did want to deal with some stories that dealt with Scott Lang, but as most comic book fans know, 
Hank Pym is actually the original Ant-Man, a founding member of the Avengers in the comic books, and we also wanted to deal with a story that had to do with Hank Pym as well. So the other suggestion, and, and these were mostly coming from our buddy Michael, the other suggestion was to cover the hardcover graphic novel Rage of Ultron. So I guess first up, we'll we'll talk about FF and everything, and then we'll go into Rage of Ultron in the second half of the show. But to start out with, uh, FF was a ongoing series. It ran for 16 issues, and it was written by Matt Fraction and has art from an artist who we've also covered and is a fan favorite of the fan holes on uh, FF, Mike Alred. And then later in the series, his brother, Lee Alred, took over some of the scripting duties from Matt Fraction towards the tail end. And just like we have been doing as of recently, I sort of cobbled together a little synopsis from all the various sources online about what the FF is, and then we'll sort of go into what we thought of it. We have seen the future, and it will be fantastic! When Reed and Sue decide that the family needs to relax, they take Ben, Johnny, and the kids, Franklin and Valeria, on a little vacation through all of infinite time and space. And in the real absence of Marvel's first family, a substitute FF, hand-picked by the real deal, comprised of Scott Lang, Ant-Man, Medusa, Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, and Darla Deering, the all-new Miss Thing, stand ready to guard the Earth and the nascent Future Foundation for the four minutes that the Fantastic Four will be gone. What could possibly go wrong? How does the world respond when this new FF take to the streets and make their public debut? How do the Future Foundation kids feel about these new grown-ups running the show? And what does Scott Lang have in store for Dr. Doom, the man responsible for his daughter Stature's death? Find out as Dynamo creators Matt Fraction and Mike Allred reinvent Marvel's first family now. So that is sort of cobbled together from various sources and synopses from all the different trade paperbacks and everything that are out. Uh, speaking of trade paperbacks, Mike, you wanna you wanna give the lowdown on why we think Marvel's trade paperback release of this series is stupid? Uh, yeah, so like <laughs> I I was interested in reading this series, so I ordered the first volume of FF, and apparently it it contains issues four through eight. So when I got it, I was like like I I started reading it without like reading the trade dress or like the back cover or anything. I like started and it was like in the middle of a story and I was like what the hell and when I like looked actually looked at the back and said yeah like issues four through eight and I was like wait a minute where's this is volume one of FF where's issues one through three and it turns out they put issues one through three in the first volume of Fantastic Four uh the the new volume that was like corresponding to like the FF's release so that I don't know that was kind of like BS on yeah the, I, 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 I thought that was kind off of about it. I thought that was kind of strange when I was reading all the That's synopses kind of dumb, and everything. So, I mean, I guess they thought they were trying to be cool by sticking it all into one trade. But I guess if you were going to do that, then wouldn't you wouldn't you continue that pattern? Like, if you were going to release issues one through three of Fantastic Four and one through three of the FF, wouldn't you just do another trade with, like, four through six of both 
I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Like that, that does seem kind of funny <laughs> to me. Um, I do know that the omnibus of this, the whole basic corresponding series, the Fantastic Four one through sixteen and the FF one through sixteen, is all collected in the omnibus. So if you're interested in reading this in a collected form all at once, and you don't want to, I guess, refer to a spreadsheet or a cheat sheet on how you have to read your trade paperbacks, that might be the way to go. <laughs> so just a tip. Just and, by, and by the way, anybody who's, who's listening, uh, FF is actually a clever play on because you would think Fantastic Four, right? It's actually for Future Foundation. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, I guess I guess the Future Foundation was introduced in that Jonathan Hickman run, and this is sort of a a semi continuation of that, where they have all these young kids and everything, and they do a pretty good job of, you know, in the in those front pages on the the back side of the cover, where they sort of uh, give you the the brief synopsis of what the story is about and all the characters involved. It's not it's not quite. Hickman-esque in the sense that it's not just a bunch of pictures of everybody. Like, these are the players, and here are their names and little circles and everything, and it's all serious and stuff. This is a little more kind of wacky. They're in squares, and usually there's some shot of the Future Foundation building and the little trade synopsis or whatever it is. But the Future Foundation is basically comprised of, without without Franklin Richards and Valeria Richards, since they're away with the Fantastic Four on that aforementioned trip, the kids that are left at the Future Foundation that our main cast of heroes needs to take care of are Alex Power. And Alex Power is, if you're not familiar with the character, he is basically the leader of Power Pack. He's like the main um, oldest son of the Power family. So there's there's a character from Marvel history that, you know, I guess you might say could have gotten lost through the cracks, but he's found a home at the Future Foundation. And he, so And he's one of your favorites too, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He is one of my I, I mean I, I of of the Power family. I mean I guess they try to sell Jack Power as like the the you know kind of smart smart mouth Wolverine kid of Power Pack, but Alex Power is more of the I mean if he's anybody, he's the you know, the Cyclops, the Captain America of, of power fact. He's, he's the oldest. He's sort of the leader that most of the kids look up to like that kind of character archetype. Um, also at the future foundation, if you were a longtime reader of the Simonson X factor run, Artie and Leech are also, uh, members of the future foundation. Those were the, uh, the pink skinned and the green skinned little mutant kids, uh, the pink skin kid does not talk, but he can, I guess, visualize his his uh, word balloons. He sort of communicates in images. And then Leech, of yeah. course, as his name would indicate to you, even if you weren't familiar with him, he can siphon off the powers of any superpowered individual. It's not quite like Rogue, where he can you know, fly and be super strong afterwards. But if he's in the area, then it will negate your special ability. So if you are the human torch and you're on fire and Leech walks in the room, you will no longer be on fire is basically how his, his power works. There's also Bentley 23 and uh, Bentley 23 is basically a clone, uh, a child version of longtime Fantastic Four villain, the wizard. 
and he's he's I he's kind of a breakout character for me. Like I I don't think I was familiar with him before I read this title, but he's he's kind of smug. He he is definitely a troublemaker amongst the bunch, but he's not he's not evil. It's not like there's a lot of um gravitas with his his background like i guess if you were reading like some of the x-men titles or like we were reading like the x-force run and everything where they had like kid apocalypse and everything like they were kind of jokingly calling him like that character probably had a lot more i guess gravity to to who his you know what his origins were and I think in the case of Bentley 23, it's not so much like, oh, my God, I'm miserable because I'm going to grow up to be this big, bad, evil supervillain. It's more like he they actually kind of poke fun and it's not there's not as much gravitas to it. It's it's a little more tongue. He's kind of he's kind of like he's kind of like Stewie from Family Guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's mischievous, but I I wouldn't go so far as the even though maybe he aspires to be evil because that's some of his background. I wouldn't say that he is actually outright evil. He's more just kind of a, a troublemaker, you know, like he, I, I think in the case of like, you know, how Flash Thompson started out as like a bane of Peter Parker's existence, but grew up to be a good man and Peter's friend and things like that. I think, I think Bentley 23, like th- there's that potential too, where even though he's a troublemaker and, and he likes getting into uh getting into, you know, trouble and doing all kinds of mischievous stuff, that doesn't mean that he won't grow up to be, you know, one of the uh, the better kids that comes out of this think tank that the Fantastic Four have created and everything. He has, like, some of the best lines in the in the entire series. Yeah, yeah, he's, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's, he's quite a... I think, I think we could all come up with, like, a favorite, like, Bentley moment. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's yeah. a fun Which character. we will probably later... <laughs> Um, I guess uh, then uh, continuing on, there is uh, Dragon Man is also considered part of the Future Foundation. Now, uh, originally Dragon Man was a villainous character. It was an android that often the Fantastic Four got into battles with. It's this super strong, gigantic purple monster looking thing with wings and everything. Now, in this uh, storyline and in some of the previous continuity Dragon Man is more of a evolved android life form. I I guess I I don't know how to describe it other than he's now Beast before Beast was like a judgmental asshole. Like that's kind of <laughs> how I see. <laughs> that, that's kind of how I see Dragon Man. I mean he's he's very refined. He's got his little spectacles. He's he's an intelligent person. He's got a good heart. You know that that's I mean that's as simplistically as I can put. This version of Derek, he 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 reads the newspaper. Come on, how much more classy can you be? Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a classy, gigantic purple, monstering looking dude. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. (laughs) Besides the glasses, he's completely naked except for his little shorts. (laughs) Yeah. So, Uh, Anome, I believe, is is from Wakanda. I don't know. Is is she related to T'Challa? I I don't know a lot about her backstory. I did. I did. Yeah. I know nothing about her, Mike. Do you know her? No, I think she's just maybe she's like a cousin or something. Okay. But I, okay. I, all I yeah, all I knew, and I think all you need to know is she's from Wakanda. Okay, basically. So so she's also one of Wakanda's best and brightest, and she is also part of the the Future Foundation. And then we have uh, Vil and Wu, 
who are referred to as Bentley 23 as the fish kids. Basically, they are, <laughs> are under, you know, water aquatic royalty who are, you know, destined to, I guess, rule the sea. I don't know how that works with Namor or whatever. Um, but, you know. Are they called like the Uharians or something like that? Yeah. Uhari? Yeah, something like that. So, I think... I, I think that there was some plot line in Fantastic Four uh, where Sue Richards became like the mo- the like the monarch or the queen of those people. Okay. Uh, or, yeah, or something they that they were like queen a mother a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, they were like a competing race with the Atlanteans or okay. something. Okay. So yeah. Okay, and then and then I guess to finish off the the main uh, Future Foundation kid cast, we have I guess the sort of advanced. Uh, mole people, I guess you'd call them. Uh, you know, they're, it's Mick, Kor, Turg, and Tong. So, and the, the, these are kind of, uh, I guess if Bentley 23 calls Vu or, or Vil and Wu the fish kids, I might refer to, to these four as like the mole man kids or something, because that's basically kind of what they are. They're very strange because sometimes when they talk, they sound incredibly smart, and then they're just like, you know, Apple. Yeah, they seem to have a weird way of like viewing the world, or I, I don't know. It seems like their their being with the mole man for so long has kind of stunted them in some ways, but in in other ways they're like a lot more perceptive than you would think that moloids would be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in most cases, I mean, you know, for I think for a long time, Marvel comics readers, the moloids did not physically or, or verbally ever communicate really i mean they were they were sort of mute and dumb for all you know you know what i mean like that and in this case yeah. you, you've got i mean it, it may not be perfect english but they they seem to be advanced beyond their years which is why they're also part of this sort of you know think tank that's gonna you know come up with ideas to you know, basically improve and, and save the world type thing, which I guess is what the, the you know, the, I guess that's the, the tenant of the Future Foundation. It's it's bringing all these young minds together to, to forge new paths and new ideas and everything like that. I, I guess it should also be noted that one of the mole kids is just a head. Yes, that, I guess <laughs> it should be noted that one of them is just a head. So, and and eventually uh, the, the mole kid, Tong, becomes a girl is a girl i don't know you know but but yeah one of them's the girl so there you go yeah just because he put on a she put on a dress yeah yeah well you know i guess he had a he had a dress inside of him the whole time is how it went so that's yeah that's how it goes okay who am i to judge (laughs) it's like the, the 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 gender politics of moloids are not in the purview of this podcast. No, probably. no, not so, at all. Yeah. I, I actually, I actually, you know, uh, not not to get too deep into it, but I thought I thought the scene was well written, you know, because yeah, that, you, it was sweet. You yeah. know, like they 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 all kind of, you know, it's like, well, are you gonna, you know, kick the shit out of me now or what? And they all just kind of come around and, and hug Tong, and then that's sort of the end of it. They don't really have much debate or uh, or. Uh, introspection about it, which, I mean, you know, if, if that's how you want to handle it, like, that's, I, I thought it was well done for, for that purpose, you know, so. Even, even the adults are kind of, like, okay with it, like, they walked by and, like, they were all just like, huh, I guess that's a thing now, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, 
Um, do do we want to talk about like the the whole handing off or passing the torch to all these various characters? Because I guess the idea is, you know, the the synopsis doesn't go into this too much, but I guess Reed Richards kind of has an inkling that the Fantastic Four are dying, and it's not just like this fun vacation. It's not like they're just like, yay, we're gonna go off on a vacation with the kids. It's it's more like Reed's you know, ulterior motive is also to stop the degeneration that's going on with the team. And that's part of his, you know, reasoning for, for, uh, you know, taking them away. But it's also part of the reasoning why they all are seeking out their replacements, because they're not only is there the potential that they won't return from this quote unquote four minute trip. It was one of those, uh, I guess it's like Frieza four minutes, you know, because it turned out to be 16 whole issues, which was like a year and a half our time. But as far as I know, they went to a Gohan and uh, Goku's like training chamber where they're gone for a year. But to us, it's only a few minutes. Right, right. That, that was supposed to be the idea, but it actually turned out to be way longer than a few minutes because of all the shenanigans they, they get into in their own title. The, the corresponding title that we had mentioned before that was, you know, they were both in that same trade dress and everything. Um, but, you know, Reed basically chooses Scott Lang, which is, you know, one of the main characters we were here to talk about due to the, the connection with the Ant-Man movie and everything. And this is Scott Lang, I guess, after he's recently resurrected after his daughter had been killed in the at the at the end of the Young Avengers miniseries when they were in Latveria. So I, I don't know, do you wanna do you wanna speak to Scott Lang at all at this point, Mike, or or you know, kinda what you thought of him in this title or maybe where he had come from before this or yeah, I, I mean I was I was glad to have him back. Like I didn't think a whole lot of Children's Crusade, but like I think a, a, the a positive effect of it was bringing Scott Lang like back to life or or plucking him from the past and bringing him, you know, this is this is technically the past Scott Lang who like gets taken like a a couple seconds before the Scarlet Witch like fries him or whatever. In, into the future, so I, I was just I was happy to have him back, and you know, obviously it's a dark time in his life, and I mean, he's not quite a lighthearted character, but he he was never like a jokester or anything, so like you know he's he's kind of got some serious like issues going on, and I, I like that Reed kind of like very since Reed sucks at like social interaction, he like very poorly tries to you know say, you know, I thought this might be good for you, kind of, you know, and, yeah, and Scott yeah. doesn't want anything to do with, like, he's like, I don't want to well, be any, don't want to any kids or anything, but... Well, Reed being Reed, he first is, like, inferring that he's just going to be leading the Fantastic Four, and then Scott finds out, like, you know, oh, you want me to be, like, the head guy of the Future Foundation, you son of a bitch, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like, like. No, it should be good. Yeah, I really liked like one of my favorite parts is like after like Scott says, "Fine, I'll do it," and then like Scott just keeps watch after the Fantastic Four leave. He starts watching his watch, and he's like, "Come on, come on, come on!" Like four minutes be up, and then it, you <laughs> can tell it's gone past the four minutes, and he's like, "Oh crap! Oh crap! Like oh crap!" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that is that is pretty funny. But, no, I, I I really liked his development and his characterization throughout this like series, and I'm really sad. Like I I'm really sad the current Ant Man uh, 
series written by Nick Spencer seems to have ditched everything. He's like all the uh, development he's gone through. It's, it's in this sort of series. it's sort of like he's back to square zero, so he can yeah. be sort of familiar to a to a movie going audience. Maybe yeah, it's like he's back to being like a moneyless schlub. Who needs to like beg for a job from people and yeah. I, I it's, just... it's interesting because I, I would definitely agree with you that I like the development of Scott Lang in this series. In fact, I think I, I don't know how to put this other than if you are Linkara and you love Carter Grayson, like Linkara loves Carter Grayson, like if you love Scott Lang, like Linkara loves Carter Grayson, then this FF series is should be the series for you. If if Scott Lang is your guy, like this series definitely heralds him and gives him a lot of good moments, even at the expense to me in my mind, at the expense of a lot of other characters, I think. So it is kind of sad that maybe the current title doesn't even acknowledge those events or anything because it's like oh you, you know scott lang punked all these guys in this series but yet it's like it's almost like it didn't mean anything so that's kind of unfortunate yeah well i mean i've i've always liked scott lang but it was more because well like i i liked hank pym first so i was like oh well he's he's the new ant-man so he must be good and then you know Scott Lang teams up with Hawkeye, and I'm like, oh, if Hawkeye thinks he's cool, then he must be cool. You know, that's pretty much why I like Scott Lang. But I think this series really like made me like like him on his own, basically. Okay. Well, I, I think it doesn't hurt that like all, all of our ages, even though me and Derek are older than you, Mike. I think it's pretty safe to say though that like for our our generations, Scott Lang was Ant Man. We didn't really grow up with Hank Pym as Ant Man. Yeah, I guess, I guess in terms of the age range, that's true. I don't know. Like, I, I sort of grew up reading Marvel Masterworks, so I kind of always thought of Hank oh, okay. as as Ant-Man. But, I mean, that's that's just because of how things, you know, how, how I was introduced to the character. You know what I mean? Like, I suppose if I had started, yeah. you know, reading and, and, you know, Scott Lang was the only one who was Ant-Man, I, you know, I, that, that makes sense to me. I um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, for for me, I don't know that Scott Lang was a big force in my comic reading childhood, if that makes any sense. He would show up in Iron Man kind of regularly. Yeah, he, I, I, he would be an Iron Man, and I know my buddy was the one who was big into Iron Man. So it's like, I, like I've always said to you guys, I, I loved Armor Wars, but outside of that, I would always borrow his copies of comics, and not, I would not actually be a collector of Iron Man all that much. And then the the other title I remember him showing up in, which sort of makes sense why Reed Richards would ask him to fill in for him is is in the Fantastic Four. Like I, I remember yeah. him in the those the Tom DeFalco, you know, Paul Ryan issues and everything, especially when Reed was was out of the picture and stuff and they thought he was dead, you know, so I will say one thing that was kind of like I I just really kind of realized this. And this is kind of a fuck you to all these people who are like, Ant-Man, you know, what a loser name. Like when, you know, Reed was like, I want you to be the leader of like the Fantastic Four. And you see like Ant-Man in his costume and he's the leader and stuff. I, I didn't bat an eye. I wasn't like, this guy can't be the leader. I mean, sure, I have comic history on my side and I know who he is. But just, just he just did not look out of place. It was like. I totally can buy this. This this does not, you know, this isn't jarring at all, you know. 
I, I think they were having a lot of fun, especially with like the art style, you know, that Alred brings to it. I mean, uh, people have often said whether it's Madman or anything else he works on, he does evoke that feeling of a sort of Silver Age Marvel book. So I, I think there is that yeah. aspect that you're you're trying to get to the the core of what made you know, the, the Kirby Lee issues of Fantastic Four are so fun. You know, there there is that atmosphere to it where it's not it's not quite super heavy. You know, there there are jovial fun moments with it, but there are moments of like adventure and awesomeness where it's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna go time travel, we're gonna go do this, like that's sweet, you know, like this is gonna be awesome. So there 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 are lots of cool Things like that, you know, even from the the way they do the breakdown of the future foundation building where you can see, you know, everything from the theater to their cafeteria to their network operations center to like the uh, what is it? The space rocket that's like pointed at the ground in case the mole man tries to come up and everything, you know, so kind of like uh, all star Superman. It's got that Silver Age vibe. But it's still modern. You know, you, you still feel like you're reading a modern book, but it does have – I hate this fucking word, but I, that's the only thing I can really use for it. It has that whimsy, you know. It, it's just lighthearted enough where you're like, I'm having fun with my comic book, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I concur with that. Um, just – I guess, you know, we can come back to Scott Lang if we need to and bring up anything else that anybody wants to say as we're going along. But I, I was just thinking we should we should also talk about – the, the other yeah. characters uh, that are members of the team, and, you know, one of which is, you know, the Ben Grimm, the thing, you know, his his replacement, the person he, I guess, you know, asks to step up for him while he's away, is Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, who, you know, is no stranger to being a member of, you know, the Avengers and then, of course, the Fantastic Four. I mean, she's replaced... Ben Grimm before, so that would almost seem like, you know, kind of like Scott Lang stepping in for Reed Richards in the past. I mean, both those seem pretty obvious fits, you know. Um, she's she's yeah. She seems to have that, that same temperament she had in John Byrne's She-Hulk to me. Like, that she she's, uh, you know, a strong woman, she's sort of in charge, but she's she's also kind of got that that pluck that she had in the, the John Byrne She-Hulk where, you know, she doesn't take any yeah, guff from anybody. This isn't her first rodeo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, she seems to be experienced. She's not so, you know, savage as her cousin that, you know, she loses it all the time. But if you, if you tick her off, you know, if you rub her the wrong way, she's certainly going to let you know about it. She-Hulk smash! <laughs> Imagine. I, I I expounded upon how much uh, I like She-Hulk as a member in our FF uh, show, so I really don't have anything to add. I mean, logical, natural choice, yeah. You got anything on on She-Hulk, Mike? No, I, you know I like her. I don't I don't really have any like strong feelings about her, basically. Okay. What did you guys think about the speaking of members and everything? I thought this was an exciting moment. One of the other members of the FF team is Medusa, who is Queen of the Inhumans. So there was a, a big tiff, a big throwdown between uh, She-Hulk and Medusa that I thought was a pretty fun romp and stomp. Like, what did you guys think about that? I, I really like the fact that they called back that, like, Medusa was a bad guy at one point. You know, she was in the Frightful Four, and, you know, yeah, sure, might not have been all 
you know, of her own free will. But it, it was cool that they referenced that. And they were like, you know, hey, remember this, kids? And I was like, yeah, cool, you know. Yeah, I, I think I liked that whole thing where Medusa, after, like, she had been freed of, like, the wizard's mind control and she seeks, like, sort of, like, an inhuman traditional, like, trial or something. And it's like, they say, like, she drops her, like, royalty and anyone can question her or, or do any, like, you know, speak their mind towards her. And, like, that, the inhumans just kind of let her off and she hulks just kind of like, what? No, like, I'm not, like, in... <laughs> I'm going to tell you off, you stupid bitch. Like, but I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, because I guess the 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 reason why that that she was in that position in the first place is because her and Bentley Twenty Three end up absconding from the Future Foundation building, and they end up meeting up with the Wizard and Blastar, who are I guess putting together a new <laughs> frightful four. And of course, the Wizard is doing the same kind of mind zonk control trick that he used all those years in the past. I guess, you know, that was that was a retcon once they introduced her as a member of the Inhumans, you know, that she, it was like, what, she had amnesia and she didn't remember who she was. And then they kind of said like, oh, well, Wizard's kind of, you know, mentally manipulating her, you know, to to get her to be a supervillain, even though she's a good person and she's the queen of the Inhumans. So you've, you've kind of got to return to that where, She's also being mentally manipulated uh, in, in this case, you know. And so, you know, I guess it's funny, though, that, you, you know, when I was reading that, like, I, I don't know if you guys had this impression or not, but when I was reading those issues where the wizard basically, you know, abducts Bentley 23, like, I kept thinking that, like, everything that came out of the wizard's mouth, I kept reading in the voice of the monarch from Venture Brothers. Where it's like, Bentley 23, we will be a family. And it's like, did you have a family, Blastar? And Blastar's like, yes, I ate them or whatever. And he's like, see, (laughs) family, Bentley 23, family. You know, and I was just kind of like, yeah, that's, I don't know why. Like, there's something about Wizard, I think, especially in that context, that was like comical to me. Like, you know, he's dangerous, but but there's still that kind of, you know, like I guess what Tony was saying, that whimsical element where you you can kind of chuckle at his obliviousness to to sort of you know normal everyday people's reactions to his wants, desires, and and wills. You know. Yeah, yeah. He was he was written very like he wasn't written comedically. He was just. He's just a strange little man. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, he was played very straight, but that still didn't stop it from from having humor in in my mind, anyway. Yeah, I did, now that yeah. you mentioned it, I can definitely see it that way. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help that he has like a you know funky little mustache, and <laughs> he goes googly eyed a couple of times when he's doing his mind zonk. So yeah, yeah, that always that always confused me as a kid because when I was growing up. Like, Medusa was a bad guy, you know? She was, like, a villain. And then at some point, like, I hadn't read FF for a long time, and then it was like, you know, it's clobber time with, like, the new FF, and it's like, you know, Ben, you know, Johnny, uh, uh, Miss Marvel, and Medusa? I was like, what? <laughs> you know? I was like, I thought she was a bad guy. But, yeah, yeah, they they totally retconned it, and she's, you know, a tool in hierarchy and all that crap. So, you know, that is, that is cool that they actually referenced that. I like that. 
I do. I, I I did like a couple moments with Medusa, like when she talks down like the Impossible Man's son, and like yeah, that's it, probably that was a nice that's probably moment. her yeah. standout moment. Yeah. I I also like yeah. early on in the series when like after she's agreed to like take Sue's place and it shows her like in bed like ringing a bell like she expects servants to come like help her out of bed or whatever <laughs> like serve her breakfast and she's like hello like anyone and then it cuts back to everyone else and Scott's like ah she's probably just sleeping in <laughs> it's interesting I was not familiar with uh, what was his name A- Atuma or whatever the the son Ahura? Yeah. Ahura, yeah. Yeah, I was not, I I was not, not familiar with the son. I mean, he, he's definitely an interesting character. I mean, very much in the image of his father, I guess. But that was that was something that was new to me. I, I imagine maybe that was something that Jonathan Hickman introduced or was introduced in the Inhuman no, um, series. He was, like, Ahura has been around for a while. I think he was... He was introduced in, like, some Inhumans, like, graphic novel from uh, the 80s, okay. I think. Okay. But wow. it was one of those, like, graphic novels, like, at the time where they weren't sure if it was, like, in canon or, you know, I don't know. But eventually, I think they, they, they brought him up maybe at some other point, and it turned out he, he had, he had, like, inherited, like, Maximus's like, madness or something, so they locked him away. Okay. But then, like, in this issue, when they introduce, or this series, when they introduce him, he's kind of like, so, they tell me I'm not insane anymore, so, you know, I guess I'm cool <laughs> now, whatever. But, okay, like, I guess it, it's kind of, yeah, I guess he's kind of like Damian Wayne, where they kind of introduced him in this, like, seemingly, like, Elseworld story or whatever, okay. but then he migrated to official canon. Canon, I see. Okay. But I thought I thought he was pretty, he was pretty cool, and I, I liked, one of my favorite Bentley moments is when they're in the hot springs, and, like, <laughs> Bentley, like, drills the hole in the wall, and he's like, all right, guys, like, step right up for the peep show, and, like, Ahura's like, yeah, like, I want to see my mom name Yeah. Nice try. <laughs> that was a funny moment. I like how he's like, he's like, this is not going as I planned, because he's got, like, the sign up for it's, like, a dollar per view or whatever, and he thinks he's going to get all this money out of it, but nobody really bites. And then what's funny is, of course, you know, the Dragon Man, and I was about to say the Beast, but, you know, Dragon Man is like, now, now, Bentley, like, you shouldn't be doing this, and, of course, he stumbles and crashes through the wall entirely, and then, of course, all the, the girls... You know, which is basically three quarters of the FF are like, you perv, like, and they all kind of yeah. gang up on him and everything. I guess speaking of that, like, so we're talking about Medusa and talking about She-Hulk. The the final uh, replacement member or or the new member of, of the FF that Johnny Storm picks is, I guess, this this pop star that he's dating at the time. And her name is... Uh, what is it? Deering? Darla Deering. Darla Deering. So, I mean, I, I would imagine it's supposed to be like this anagram to somebody like Kate Perry or somebody like that. Like one of these, I you know, I don't know. I can't keep up with popular music, but who's ever the new young, you know, spitfire that's on the, the pop record charts. But that's that's basically who she's supposed to be. She's it's interesting. You know, I I would think you know, given the outcry that I saw to this cover when it first came out on the internet and everybody was like, 
you know, typical, you know, Allred art bashing, which I don't like. And then on top of that, you know, there were people that were kind of like, who's this chick in the thing suit? You know, and that's like the first kind of gut punch reaction that most, I guess, you know, I don't know, I'm just going to be mean, but most fucking comic nerds go into, you know, where they're like, you know, this sucks, this isn't what I know, you know, or whatever, and so they're going to ignore it. But what I kind of found interesting was, like, she kind of became one of my more favorite characters. I mean, she's got that that visual appearance where it's a typical Alred girl, and, and she's kind of reminiscent of, I, I think, uh, you know, in, in the new Silver Surfer title, He's got the girl that he's palling around space with and everything. And then uh, there's like, uh, you know, an eye zombie or whatever. There's the girl in there. And it's like, they, I don't know. They all kind of have this, uh, they're, they're not sexualized, but it's like they, I don't know. They just, they, they have this kind of aura about them that you're drawn to them. I don't know. For me, I was drawn to her and not in a, like I'm saying, not in a, a sexual way where I was like, oh, she's hot, dude. But it was just she just seemed like this very like sweet and kind of um it almost likeable. Felt, yeah likable and there's 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 a little bit of naivete but not so much that you're like what are you stupid you know like i mean it it just seemed like there was this nice balance of all those kind of qualities and everything there i don't was, know there I, was a kind of like vulnerability yeah, to her yeah like i mean i i kind of liked i mean you know, obviously we're, you know, spoilers for all this stuff and everything, but they, they really played with the idea across the whole series of, of her being a confidant and a friend to Scott Lang. And you, you saw them kind of pushing them into like this kind of romantic direction and everything. And it seemed like at the end of the series, they were romantically linked. And of course I'm imagining in the Nick Spencer series, you know, that does not continue at all. So I don't think it's brought up at all. Yeah, yeah. so that, that that I think is unfortunate. I did enjoy, you know, I, I'm glad they didn't, you know, jump into bed right away or anything like that with the first issue. Yeah. But, I mean, I did like seeing that relationship develop over the course of the series. And, and of course, uh, her, her code name is Miss Thing. But for some reason, whenever I read it, I just kept thinking it was Miss Thing. <laughs> Well, you know, you know what I like too is I guess if your gut reaction is, well, she's in the thing's, you know, mechanical suit of armor that he used when he was Ben Grimm back in the Walt Simonson run or whatever. But you know, I, I think the the another knee jerk reaction would be like, well, how does she protect her head? You know, and and everybody gets all grumpy about it. But I, I like how when they were deciding to pick headgear. And it's like Dragon Man and her, like trying to come up with some stuff. And eventually, he just says, uh, "Miss Deering, you know, I, I I fashioned this bubble for you, and it, it will clearly, you know, protect your head when you're in a battle. But you can still retain your, you know, your lovely, uh, you know, hairdo or however he puts it, you know. And and I just kind of like that because it's like, oh, see, so she can look like she doesn't have anything on top of her head because it's just a a clear bubble, but it's also just as protective as, you know, wearing, you know, a, a mask or, or a, a, like Tony was bringing up, I think before we started the show, he's like, Oh, look in that, in that sequence, when she tries on all these different headgears, one of them is the bucket head from the bucket headed thing, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. One's also malice, which was funny. Cause yeah, like, yeah, there were, there were lots of little, shoes, like, it, yeah. <laughs> there were lots of little funny nods in those, in those, uh, 
those selections. And eventually, I, I have to bring this up because I, I think I think I found something fun to stick in a history of comics on film video now, which is that at some point the the armor I guess gets destroyed or at least messed up by Blastar when they're in the middle of that fight with the new frightful four and then dragon man comes up with a way for the armor to just form around her kind of guyver style and everything but actually what it's really reminiscent of is the old Hanna barbera thing cartoon you know the thing ring do your thing and she actually says that at some point when they they say okay just you know put the rings together and then the suit will form up around you and stuff and i was like oh cool that's like a I mean, it's not really obvious if you've never seen it. Like, it's not going to take away from the story or anything, but I thought that was a cool little nod to that that old cartoon series, especially if you like the old Thing cartoon series. Yeah, and then I, yeah, I, 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 think, cool. I, I think those... Um, t- the way they did the Yancey Street Gang, I thought that was kind of meta, too, because I, I felt like the Yancey Street Gang was like all the people on the Internet that hated the... The cover yeah, promotional they, they, they art, the guys, yeah. you know, because it was like they were all like internet like guys. That it was, it was almost like the Yancey Street Gang somehow became anonymous, you know, like where they were like wearing masks, but instead of the uh, instead of the Guy Fox, you know, V for Vendetta masks or whatever, they were all wearing Ben Grimm masks, you know, and they're kind of like, you ain't the thing, like why are you pretending to be the thing. Yancey Street Gang, represent, you know, or whatever, you know, and it's just kind of like, Yancey oh. Street! So, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was kind of funny, like, I, yeah, I didn't think those funny. bits. I mean, what's funny to me is, like, that's another, like, speaking of Scott Lang poning people, like, that's a good moment for Scott Lang, where after all that stuff, you know, the Yancey Street Gang, quote-unquote, hacks Darla Deering's phone, you know, and posts all those pictures of her, or they, you know, they do all these nasty things, you know, you know, I guess anonymous style, you know, like internet wise to make her life a living hell until she, you know, stops impersonating quote unquote the thing, which is kind of funny because Johnny Storm was the one who asked her to replace him, you know, so if they should be tormenting anybody, they should be tormenting She-Hulk, but I guess it doesn't really work for the story, but they, you know, it's, it's like she is just getting kind of constantly harassed and Scott Lang basically turns the tables on them. He shrinks and follows them around the whole day because they assault her at this like concert or whatever. And then basically he gets all their personal information and puts all their passcodes and everything online. And what kind of cracked me up is he's like, well, I'm no hacker, but I just, you know, hung out with you. But like, to me, I'm kind of like, well, that that's kind of, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but it's like it's it's not like the movies when you when you hack somebody's personal information. I mean, you know, you fish, you know, like, yeah, OK, if you do it in an email or if you shrink to pin particle size, that's what hacking is. Digging through somebody's garbage is what hacking is. It's not like it's not like you press some magic button and you're like, oh, you know, now I have all your information because I pressed a magic button. It's because somebody was, you know solicited yeah. and they they, like, they gave you all their information because they thought they were logging into the right site but you've masked it as some other site you know it's like you know yeah okay well maybe you know Darla Deering thought she was logging into her you know her friend space on her phone but it was really the Yancey Street's you know friend space or something but you know whatever anyway my point is like I don't know Scott Lang kind of downplays his 
his badassery in that moment. But I mean, he is a badass where he's just like, yeah, I've leaked all your shit on the internet and now everybody knows your passcodes and they're going to know about your little doll houses that you make. And I've given your information, to all these rival hacker groups and everything like that. So I, I, I thought that was a, a, another slam dunk moment for Scott Lang in that series. Yeah. He definitely got like, you know, and he looked good to the girl too. So that's always good. You know? Yeah, he's he he kind of like pones people left and right in this series. I mean, yeah. Would, do you want to talk about like do were you? I know you like Alex Power. Were you yeah. a, a little upset with his like role I, in this I'm not, series? I'm not gonna or? I'm not gonna go like off the deep end or anything. But like Alex Power is a fucking yutz in this series. Like he's trying to grow like a a, a mustache, and it's one of those like dumb teenage like you can't grow a full mustache thing. So he looks like. He looks like a jerk. He looks like uh, Dean Venture to bring it back to. I must say know, Dean Venture, yeah. <laughs> you know, to bring it back to the Venture Brothers or whatever. He's got that Dean Venture, like not really a mustache, mustache, you know, going on and everything. So he looks kind of like a jerk. I, I, I feel like Doom. Like if I had to make the call, I'd say this was some crazy Doom bot that got off the reservation or whatever. Like because this, I don't know if it even feels like Doctor Doom to me. Like it, it's weird because Doom, Doom basically manipulates Alex Power into being a toady spy for him because he's got his family locked up and you know is threatening to kill them if he doesn't obey him. And what's funny is the 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 impetus for Alex Power to even be in Latveria is that he doesn't agree with the idea that Scott Lang wants to take the fight to doom, which, okay, like, I, I guess I can see that, but it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to be a, a further asshole about it, but I'm like, look at where your stupid hippie philosophy got you, Alex Power. Like, you went there to tell Doom that, <laughs> like, you know, Scott Lang was going to do something not so nice, and then you end up getting butt-raped because of it, basically. Like, your parents are all locked up, and they look like they haven't, like, been fed or or you know, bathed in, like, months, and they look all disheveled and everything like that, and they're in this little glass ice cube prison that Doom's made. And, and Doom just seems, I don't know, discourteous? I know that's like, okay, he's a supervillain, but, like, I don't know. Like, you know, I don't know if I'm just putting too much on Doom. Like, this definitely seems to be of the... This series seems to be of the philosophy that, like, you know, where, where Morrison eventually just settled on, you know, Magneto's an evil terrorist, and that's the end of it. Like, that's that's the final word on Magneto, you know? Like, even though he tries to do good things, ultimately at his core, like, that's always what he's going to be, like a madman who's going to try to destroy rather than create, you know? And, and I feel like that's kind of the attitude about Dr. Doom in this, that Dr. Doom thinks he's a great man, but in reality, he is the lowest of the low, you know, which is interesting because that's not really how Doom is played in a lot of other titles, especially corresponding titles that were being written at the time. So it's I'm, I'm not going to say I hate the characterization of Doom, but it's just it, it just feels dated out of place, like like kind of why. 
I, I think when people read this kind of version of Doom in a modern scenario, that's what leads them to make Electro Doom and Blogger Doom and everything, because it's like these these film Hollywood types read this type of Doom and go, oh, that's so corny, like, we can't possibly have that in a movie, and then they go and make up their own stupid shit about corporate, you know, Blogger Doom or whatever the fuck crap they come up with, you know? I don't know. No, what? No, what, no, what, no, what struck me as exceptionally petty on Doom's part in this series was he he, sh- he took a shot at the friggin' Watcher. Yeah. Like, like the Watcher wasn't going to do anything to him, <laughs> and he was like, he was like, and now I shall beat you up too because I can, you know, basically. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Come here, Baldy. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that. Like, not you know, I mean, we are the fucking fan holes. Like, I guess we are the continuity police or whatever, but not to be the continuity police. But I, I remember this was something that specifically came up on the Botok forums because. Basically, I think people were reading various different titles, and over in Hickman's New Avengers, which you know me and Mike have talked about uh, a little bit on uh, on this podcast before for our Avengers Month and everything. But one of the instances in the the early issues of New Avengers is that the Watcher brings Tony Stark up to the moon and shows him basically the crime scene, the the deathbed of the living tribunal and somebody's murdered the living tribunal. And that's one of the, the impetuses for the, the Illuminati, the new Avengers to get together in the first place because something of that magnitude has happened like underneath everybody's noses, but it's like this cosmic level murder basically. And, and so I remember somebody saying, well, wait a minute, like, I read that the Living Tribunal was dead, and then somebody says, well, when's the last time the Living Tribunal appeared? And it was in this comic at the time, when we were all discussing it on the board, and and it was in FF16, and the reason the Living Tribunal shows up is because Doom does that petty thing of slapping down the Watcher when he has these ultimate, you know, uh, god powers after, you know, I think it's like Kid Immortus, you know, slash Kang and, and Annihilus, he sort of steals their power and everything and becomes this, this trifecta of, you know, I, I forget what they were calling him, but... In, Doom the Annihilating Conqueror. Do, yeah, yeah, Doom, Doom the Annihilating yeah, Doom Conqueror, the Annihilating which, Conqueror. Which, which oddly enough, in the corresponding... In the corresponding FF title... He actually, in an alternate Doom, actually becomes Doom the Annihilating Conqueror with the adult version of Kang and Annihilus. So, you know, I, it, it, it's, it's yeah. kind of like they, they have those weird parallels to it. So you feel like it's not quite the right Doom. But I guess back on track with the Living Tribunal, the Living Tribunal shows up to punish Doctor Doom. And it's like Doctor Doom fixed his face, I guess, quote-unquote, the first moment he got those new powers. But then the Living Tribunal's punishment is, no matter what body you transfer yourself into, no matter where you go, every time you do something shitty, your face is going to be scarred horribly. So, and that's his punishment, basically. And, like, even before that, like, Scott Lang, like, kicks the fucking crap out of this version of Doom, which I'm just going to say... Sorry, Scott Lang fans, and sorry, Scott Lang, but that's some crazy Doom bot that got off the fucking reservation, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. So, you know, it's 
a crazy Goombot that got off the ranch that was that was running around like choking out Alex Powers' parents and slapping around. Uh, what, there was that one scene where he's like, "I you, I told you I wanted my coffee roasted hot or whatever. Or, I don't like grapes with seeds or something." And he's like, oh, choking, "He's like she's choking he's out." He's like, "I don't his, like crusts on my sandwich." Yeah, yeah. That, I was like, "What?" And he's like choking out one of his like little Latvian like uh, uh, cooks or whatever. What and I'm just kind of. I'm kind of like, come on, dude. Like, what? Like, I, I don't know. Like, the, speaking of, like, the way you put it, Mike, I like it. It's like petty. It's like petty-ass bullshit, you know? Like, where it just, th- there's something that seems uncultured about it. And I guess I guess that's the point they're trying to make, is that a lot of people, you know, maybe like myself, I'm a reader who maybe elevates Doom to a different standard, and maybe they're just trying to, you know, smack some sense into me, maybe, and say, like, oh, maybe you shouldn't elevate this nasty son of a bitch so much but at the same time he is doom right so you, you kind of got to wonder like th- yeah i don't i mean to me like i'm like this that i don't think that was doom that was a doom bot so it should have had like squirrel girl jump in on a panel and just be like you're not the doom i fought <laughs> <laughs> squirrel girl and then she like jumps away yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I can, I, I can definitely agree. I mean, I th- it was a really good like owning, basically. But like, you know, and I liked Scott Lang, but I was kind of like, wow, man, like, <laughs> holy crap, like, he rips his armor off like barehandedly, and then he like he drags Doom around in his like long johns, and then like beats the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they they do a pretty good job of explaining why he's so powered up. You know, that he sort of harnessed the the secret of the pim particles and they do a a pretty good job of tying that into pim particle usage whether it applied to you know Simon Williams or the vision or whoever you know and and they tried to basically explain the scientific theory of you know basic and and it also kind of did this fun continuity retcon where you're always like oh just because giant man gets bigger doesn't mean he's invulnerable right but it seems like depending on what axis of the pin particles you're actually on, it could definitely make you a lot more durable than you should be. And that's basically what he's playing at when he beats the crap out of Doom in this sequence. I'm sure nobody's going to touch that ever again in terms of pin particles, but I, I think it's an interesting notion, you know? So Yeah. Yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 Doom is very, in this, like, series, he seems like, you know, cartoony and not cartoony like ha 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 but just like you know like you're saying you know no crust on my sandwiches you strangle you know just there's nothing inherently wrong about that but I kind of go with Derek I kind of like my villains to be a little bit more three-dimensional I like them to have you know human qualities like they don't have to be qualities that you agree with Magneto went through a horrible thing but he chose a bad path from it so you sympathize, but you're like, I don't choose why you do this. And Doom is like supposed to be one of those people who like does rule his country like pretty decently. I mean, he can be an asshole sometimes, but he does, you know, actually rule pretty fairly. He's he's just kind of you know wanting to take over the rest of the world, and that's not good. <laughs> so, but yeah, just the whole screaming tyrant, you know, thing. It, it, it didn't it didn't sit bad with me. It just seemed like. A couple of steps back. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Doom was a part of the Future Foundation for a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, they even touch on the on the fact that when when Franklin and Valeria 
and even the the regular Fantastic Four sort of funnel into the conclusion of this story. I mean, he's still called Uncle Vic, you know, by Valeria, you know, which which is odd because it to to me, I guess that's why I bring up dated because it, it feels like you're reading a Fantastic Four comic where this is Doom plucked from the '60s or something, if that makes any sense. Like where where it's it's sort of a retro doom in a modern context, and it just doesn't. I don't know. Some something about it just doesn't quite gel with me. Like where I, I feel like it's just off, you know. And it's doom's doom's probably not an easy character to get right, I suppose. You know, since so many people yeah. screw it up, you know. So I mean, I guess that's just you know. And 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 then of course you know, like I said, you know. Scott Lang, of course, is elevated a great deal at the expense of Doom, who is the villain, which I guess is how a, a good versus evil story should go. But, I mean, you, you even get that sense from, you know, him having the conversation with Reed Richards at the end. He's like, how did you do it? You know, like I've never been able to slap Doom down so definitively, you know, like, like, how did this get done? You know, and stuff. So I think. I think the only time that Doom kind of approached the level of, like, depth, or or at least multi-facet, like, faceted portrayal was at the end when he's, like, tricked into thinking he's killed, like, Valeria, and he actually has, like, a legitimate, like, emotional response to that. Yeah, yeah. What did you think, yeah. or or do you think do you think it was BS or what? But what did you think of like Ravana revealing that she's like actually Valeria, like in well, the, in the future? Or? You know, when when I first heard that, I I actually took it at face value, even though because I figured, well, Fraction's also writing the regular FF title, and he could always change that if he wanted to. Even though now, you know. He, you know, James Robinson went on to write the FF, and then after, you know, Secret Wars, they'll all be scattered across the Marvel Universe or whatever, so who knows if Valeria will even be around or whatever, but I, I think eventually then, what, what became the deciding factor for me was I, I kind of hold Franklin in high esteem, and when Franklin Richards is like, yeah, I don't believe you, like, you, <laughs> yeah. oh, he's like, yeah, okay, sis, in air quotes, like I'm going to, you know, deal with you now or whatever. And once once he started calling her sis in air quotes, I was just kind of like, no, she's she's bullshitting or something like that. You know what I mean? Like that that was yeah. my that was my litmus. It was like when she first mentioned it, and and I was kind of like, well, but you know, may, maybe that's interesting. Like okay, like that's an interesting take on it. I'm, I'm all it's kind of kind of weird, like, uh, maybe a little icky, but, you know, okay, you know, like, I, I suppose, you know, I mean, because we saw that weird adult version of Franklin in Hickman's run, and I was like, oh, maybe, yeah, she grows up to be Ravona, okay, like, I guess, you know, like, whatever, but I think the minute Franklin started kind of questioning it and basically, you know, flat out saying that it was not possible, then I sort of took his word for it, because I'm, I'm kind of like, well, you know, Franklin... Franklin knows best, so I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go with what Franklin says. <laughs> I, I was definitely oh that seems kind of dicey. Like I don't I don't know if I believe that or not, but but I, I, I was kind of happy. Lie. I was kind of happy to see the the douchebag like Young Avengers like Kid Kang get like owned. So I thought that was pretty funny, but <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know that I had a big like it, it, it's funny like for as. I suppose as one-dimensional as Doom was, 
like Kid Immortus and Annihilus might as well have been Bebop and Rocksteady. In <laughs> yeah, so, like, they if were, you were <laughs> if, if you if you have any inkling, like if you like Kang or if you liked uh, what Iron Lad from Young Ju- or uh, Young Avengers, I was about to say Young Justice. If you liked Iron Lad from from Young Avengers or Annihilus, then you, I mean I. I wouldn't go into this story thinking like, yeah, they're going to get some good moments because because they don't, you know, <laughs> they just kind of yeah. get slapped around. Although yeah. well, the one one of my favorite like funny moments though came from Annihilus at the end when he recovers his cosmic like rod and he's like, the Dooms has tried to take you away from me, didn't you? Like my precious, <laughs> like, he's doing his his uh, golem or whatever. Yeah, like I, I thought that was pretty funny. But. Me, you dare enter my realm! You attempt to steal my power! No, you pay the price! I, I do want to say, I, and this is something I haven't mentioned yet, but I, I did really enjoy the, the Valentine's Day issue. It was issue number four, where She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, is going to go out on a date, and you end up finding out that she's going on this date-not-date with Wyatt Wingfoot from the, the Fantastic Four comics and the old She-Hulk comics. Like, I've, I've always been a big fan of Wyatt Wingfoot. Like, I, I remember, you know, when uh, when I was reading Earth-X and, and, you know, some of my buddies were reading Earth-X and, and they were like, who the hell's that guy with Captain America? And I'm just kind of like, dude, it's Wyatt Wingfoot. And everybody's like, who's Wyatt Wingfoot? And I was just, like, excited because, like, you know, I, I don't know. For me, it's like a representation of a, you know, a Native American character. And he's not dressed up like Red Wolf and whatever. You know what I mean? He's just like a dude, you know, and, and, and he's obviously, yeah, he's, just, yeah, he's, like, he, he's like an attractive dude. He's a good looking guy. Like Jennifer Walters is clearly, you know, I, I guess that's the, the, you know, they refer to each other as the, you know, the one that got away, you know, I guess it didn't work out being that comics are a cyclical kind of event. And oftentimes happiness is not part of that cyclical equation. You know, people have to be, you know, either in the midst of burgeoning love or in the midst of like, I hate you or whatever, you know, type thing. So, you know, that, that it was never a, a finalized relationship where they were always going to be together forever and ever. But uh, I, I did enjoy that. And, and what's funny is I guess the, uh, the mole kids, the mole man kids as we're calling them, yeah, like they kind of have this yeah. crush on, on their teacher and everything. And, you know, I, I guess the way they, they phrase it is, you know, we must pitch the woo to our gen, you know, like that's, that's their, their speak for, you know, we, we, we must, you know, we must woo, you know, She-Hulk cause she's hot and green and whatever, you know? And, and, and what's funny is they get Bentley 23 cause that's like the only, the closest thing they know to a, a devious supervillain. And, you know, basically it's like, well, you have to come up with ways so that we can pitch the woo to our gen and not this Wyatt Wingfoot man, you know, and everything. And it just seems like everything they do results in like an even more awesome date. You know, like they, they try to, I, I forget what it is. <laughs> yeah. Like they try to like set off some kind of exploding whatever. And then it turns out to be these like super cool looking fireworks where it's like the perfect moment for them to kiss and everything. Or like, you know, they, they share or they, they share, they, they scare the, the French chef at the restaurant where they're going out on their date. And 
the chef is so scared. He's like, they're, they're like, basically like do something out of the ordinary that you wouldn't do at your restaurant. And they're hoping it's going to ruin the date. But instead, like he comes out and he's like free champagne for everybody, you know? And they're like, Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> like, so it's like yeah. everything, everything they do to sort of screw up the date just makes it that much better, I guess, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And poor Bentley's actually genuinely trying. And he's like, I don't think I'm very good at being evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we why don't we talk about what's on the what's on your avatar, Tony? Speaking of of Bentley, <laughs> um, not a major player or anything, but uh, as we we discussed in the Fantastic Four uh, podcast, not, never been a big fan of Herbie. Just just not a guy. In, in, in the, or in, I should say. You should say in the future because I think this episode airs first. Yeah, yeah, well, it'll be timey wise. Oh. When, when when you listen to the Fantastic Four podcast, you will hear more about how Tony does not like Herbie. But for now, it is good enough to know that Tony is not a big fan of Herbie, but he does like. I like Doom Herbies, <laughs> which basically is a Herbie dressed like Doctor Doom. He's got a little cloak on and. He's very fond of saying, Neil before Herbie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just a very, I, it, it, it's one of the, it's very much an Alred thing. It just took me out of left field. Well, Alred and uh, uh, Fraction is just so, <laughs> just out of left field. It's like, there's this little diagram because Dragon Man is looking for um, uh, Bentley and stuff. And, they show the diagram of the, the uh, Baxter building, and I, I, they, sh- they have the names of all the kids, all the Fantastic Four members, the various areas of the building, and then I see, like, Doom Herbies, and I'm like, the fuck is that? And then, like, the Doom Herbies are, like, the paralegal, like, uh, lawyer team or something like that of the uh, Fantastic uh, Future Foundation. They handle all the legal matters, <laughs> and there's this, like, fucking floating robot with a big cloak on it trying to wake up. Of course, Scott Lang, who's just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, this is like, Doom killed my friggin' kid. Now I'm being woken up by, like, cutesy yeah, Doom. That, what the hell? Yeah, it was kind of like, I hope, yeah, that must be, be something that Bentley did, because otherwise that's just a dick move <laughs> on anyone else's part. It's either, it's either Reed's a dick or Bentley's just being mischievous, which was was my take on it. They never specifically say that or spell it out, but I, I just naturally assumed, like, Bentley 23 just got a hold of two or three of the regular Herbies that were, you know, zooming around the Future Foundation building and just said, hey, this is going to be awesome if I if I tweak their programming <laughs> so they run around in Doom cloaks and, you know, so. Yeah, just about Doom, doom one-liners, yeah. <laughs> now, just yeah. It's like, well, I mean, again, like like I said, this this whole series, even though it it doesn't it doesn't take itself as a joke. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like a series where it's just like you know, it's not like Great Lake Avengers, for example, uh, which is a very comedic series. Like this is very serious at points, but it just has that feeling of enjoyable, fun comic books, you know. Yeah, I, I, I it kind of it kind of reminds me a bit of of the. The Giffen, DiMatteis, you know, McGuire era Justice League stuff. I mean, the the Bwahaha yeah. League. I mean, it's not. There, there are obviously moments that are deathly serious, you know, in in those comics as well. But, but like this with FF, you know, especially when like Scott Lang and Doctor Doom are going at it, and and there there are moments where they're 
you know, they, they legitimately address Scott Lang's grief over his daughter. You know, he has these kind of horrific nightmares, you know, he's, he's trying yeah, to flashback, deal with, yeah. with what, what happened and everything. So they, they don't, they don't sidestep any of that. But in the meantime, as you're living life, like you are apt to do, you know, you will run into, you know, humorous situations and encounters. Like even, even when he's about to kiss, uh, uh, Darla for the first time there's this like kind of stupid moment where Darla's so into it and she's closing her eyes and she spills her coffee all over Scott Lang's leg and he's kind of like burning Scott holding coffee ah you know and of course Darla <laughs> yeah. has no idea she's dropped the coffee on him because she's kind of this oblivious girl <laughs> and she gets all mad at him and it's like you dropped the coffee <laughs> on him come on you know so <laughs> yeah yeah it's just it's, it's just like I said, it sounds very simple, but it's just fun. It's like really, it just it hits, uh, it hits that sweet spot. You know, there's like certain comics you read, and they can just be so grim and gritty. It's like they can be enjoyable, they can be solid stories, but you almost feel mentally exhausted after you're done reading them. You're just like, okay, that was good, but damn, I'm tired. And then there's books that are just straight up comedy, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But you know. You're, you know, you're kind of like, eh, like the little seriousness there. That would have been nice. And, like, I'm not saying FF is perfect on that, but it does hit it pretty well. I think, it, you know, they they definitely, like, when they when they got together to make this book, they definitely had a vision of what they wanted. And I, th- I think they did a pretty good job with it. It's not perfect, but I, I really, like, you know, I like the tone, I guess is what you would say. The tone was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed reading it, and... I think the, this was the second time I read it for this podcast, so like, and I, I think I enjoyed it more the second time. And I know, like, like we said, maybe it gets a little like out of hand towards the end, but in like making Scott Lang like awesome and stuff. But it it kind of reminded me a little bit of like what Dan Slott did with like Hank Pym in Mighty Avengers, where like it, like it was the mission statement to make Hank Pym awesome in that book, and like I think he succeeded. But sometimes you're like, okay, enough, like, okay, like take it easy, like, but you know. <laughs> Well, at the very least in Mighty Avengers, I don't think like Hank Pym looked awesome, like at the expense of like a lot of other people. So, you know, well, you know, you know, what's interesting is and and I just did want to bring this up is I, I was not, you know, since this is a, a timey wimey thing, you'll have to forgive me. But by the time we do the FF show or release the Fantastic Four show, I will have said that I haven't read too many modern Fantastic Four comics, but just by the nature of reading this and the fact that they are, you know, conjoining series, I occasionally read an issue or two of the the corresponding Fantastic Four title. And in the final issue of the Fantastic Four, they're actually combating that version of Doom, the the future version of Doom from like some alternate universe where he is merged with the adult Kang and Annihilus and everything. And there's actually a scene where he can see Scott Lang 
about to engage Dr. Doom. And he actually has the comment about, well, if that version of Doom can't beat up Scott Lang, well, then, you know, your world will be like a cakewalk for me to take over, basically. You know, because he's like, even even that, you know, that version of Doom is like, this is ridiculous, Ant-Man versus Doom. Do you know what I mean? So so even in the corresponding title, they're, they're sort of commenting on it in the completely opposite way, you know? So that's that's kind of interesting. And then even, even for the wrap-up of the series, I, I just wanted to mention, if you read the final issue of FF, issue number 16, and the final issue of Fantastic Four 16, there are... At first I thought, I was like, what? Is this exactly the same? And there were a few pages that Alred drew that are exactly the same, like where they're all barbecuing and Johnny Storm is making hot dogs for the Silver Surfer. And, like, both those introductory pages are the same. And he's on the grill on the blue area of the moon and Wyatt Wingfoot's there and Silver Surfer's, like, flying around going, these dogs of hot are awesome or whatever. It (laughs) seems to be, like, a a precursor to the Alred Silver Surfer series now that I'm seeing it for the first time, like, where, you know, it's kind of like, I don't need to ingest this, and it's like, oh, but you are going to ingest this, says Johnny Storm, and it's going to be awesome, and he's putting all these sauces (laughs) on it and all this other stuff. And, um, you know, the... But but I guess the way that the issues differ is it's still Michael Alred art, but in, say, the case of the FF, you'll see the mole kids kind of talking about Ben Grimm and, and She-Hulk. And, you know, the mole kids will be like, the Ben is back, the Ben is talking to the Jen, and they'll have their little farewell to the <laughs> mole kids and everything. And we see it from, you know, the Future Foundation's perspective. But in the Fantastic Four title, you'll actually see Ben Grimm have a conversation with Jen Walters, like, hey, thanks for filling in for me. And, you know, uh, I guess they have this conversation. I don't know if they were trying to be a thing or whatever, but, like, they seem to be having this conversation that, like, maybe they were trying to get serious about one another. But, you know, Jen is clearly more into Wyatt Wingfoot. And the thing is like, oh, I, you know, I'm assuming he's referring to, like, Alicia Masters or something. Because he's like, oh, yeah, my heart's only in, in one place, too, or whatever. And that's kind of the extent of the conversation they have. So it's like <laughs> there are sort of corresponding conversations that you're privy to when you read both those those final issues, but it's kind of like two sides of the same barbecue on the blue area of the moon for, for lack of a, a better way to phrase it. I don't know why, but when you were like talking about Ben for some reason, I was just like, yeah, my heart only belongs to one girl, the girl, my best friend tried to steal from me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He's like, that he was going to be like my petunia. My heart's only available for one girl. It's that girl that got all lumpy and orange like me when we was lumpy and orange together. And I stuck my orange lumpy tongue down her orange and lumpy orange throat. Yeah. Tasted like saltine crackers. Man, it was good. I I love, like, uh, this is also spoilers for the... uh, the Fantastic Four podcast. I love the Angleheart run, but watching those two Rocky guys kiss together always made me uncomfortable. <laughs> just it like two big, bald, fat dudes kissing, which is just not right. <laughs> it always made me uncomfortable. So, anyway, 
Um, I, but yeah, I mean, like, like we said, there, there are a couple missteps or misfires, you know, I mean, like, like Mike was, uh, you know, uh, Mike was, was quick enough to, uh, ascertain. I wasn't like super happy about Alex power in this, this story. I mean, I guess they, they sort of resolve it and he's sorry and all this stuff, but for the majority of the story, he's kind of a douche. I mean, they, they sort of try to rectify that towards the end and everything, but he's pretty much kind of a dumbass, you know, but I guess, you know, I guess as you grow up, you can be a cool guy and eventually make dumb mistakes because you're young and stupid. So I guess you can just sort of chalk it up to he had a young and stupid moment and everything. Uh, and of course, the Doombot, who I'm going to call the Doombot. So other than those two <laughs> things, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was pretty awesome. You know, I, I enjoyed it. And uh, I think I think you guys did, too. So, yeah, I'm glad you guys yeah. enjoyed it. I thought it I thought it would be a good uh a good Scott Lang story to focus on, basically. All right, awesome. So this wraps up the FF part of the show. We're just going to take a quick break, and then after we come back, we're going to be discussing the original Avengers graphic novel, Rage of Ultron, that features the original Ant-Man, Hank Pym. See you in a few minutes, guys. Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait. Be right back. I need my Avengers omnibus. Uh, where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner... Just say his name three times in an email, and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah! Sorry, sorry. I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow! Put Cap Shield there. <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No, no! watch out for the repulsor. No! Ah! Oh! Ah! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die, They Just Get Reassembled and Sent to Another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover, and who might stop by? So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree Skrull War, and... Oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh, I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? <sighs> hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. <sighs> Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. Hey guys, welcome back. So now we are here again to discuss the second half of the show, which, as we've mentioned before, is going to be the original Avengers hardcover graphic novel, Rage of Ultron. This is written by Rick Remender, and the art is by Jerome Opena. And then, of course, we'll go into our brief pillaged synopsis here so everybody's on the same page as far as the basic story goes 
It was another glorious victory for the mighty Avengers. Good triumphed over evil, and Ultron was shot into space, never to be seen again. Or so they thought. Now, years later, the homicidal artificial intelligence, so long devoted to ending life on Earth, has a new world to conquer, one with its own horrific legacy. When Titan, birthplace of Thanos, falls, planet Ultron rises in its place. Thanos' brother, Star Fox, must seek the aid of his former allies, but the Avengers he finds are radically different from the ones he once knew. Among them is Ultron's creator, Giant Man, and when Hank Pym confronts his now planet-sized son, the responsibilities of fatherhood have never loomed so large. Rick Remender and Jerome Opena unleash the full robotic rage of Ultron on Earth's mightiest heroes. So yeah, that's the, the basic synopsis of Rage of Ultron. Just right off the bat, I will say there's a lot more Ultron in this than in all of Age of Ultron. Not the movie, <laughs> the, the craptastic Bendis maxi-series, but yeah. See, I thought, you, no. I thought you guys wanted me to read Age of Ultron again, so that's why I didn't read those. <laughs> I I mean I yeah I I don't know uh kind of I mean basically where to start with is it's it's a two-pronged story basically you've got a a brief interlude into the past which all refer to them as I guess the the shooter era Avengers basically you know yellow jacket and beast and wonder man and, and you know cap and you know, Iron Man and Thor and all those cats and everything like that. But the the current day Avengers, which if I don't know, I could be wrong. Like, Mike, you're going to have to help me out on this because one of the titles I'm really not keeping up with is Uncanny Avengers. Or I, I don't know, is this is this the Cap and the Mighty Avengers team? Because I'm not really on the it's ball. It's kind of a of that weird... Stuff. It's kind of a weird mix of like all the current teams. Okay. okay. It's just yeah, kind of like, like they need they need Hank Pym to be in this story, so he's yeah. naturally part of the team, even if he's not part of those other regular he's, teams. Yeah, like I don't think he's on any of the current teams, like Uncanny, Mighty, or you know Hickman Avengers. Right, right. So like, he's just, he, I guess he's just kind of a like Avenger in Emeritus. Like he's always there. Like he, he can just show up wherever he wants, basically. But but yeah, like Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Sabretooth, and um, Vision are all on Uncanny Avengers. And then you've got like um, Cap, like Spider Man, and yeah, Spider Man, Captain Falcon, and uh, what's his face. Uh, uh, who else is there? Oh, they're mighty Avengers. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a hundred percent familiar with that team. So I think, from my perspective, I, I probably had more of the reaction that Star Fox had. You know, like like who are these yutzes that are the Avengers, basically? You know, like and and of course my, you know, and it's interesting seeing it paralleled with the shooter era Avengers because I'm obviously more familiar with them being Avengers. So it was like I was kind of right on board when it opened up and they give you the sort of flashback where, you know, it, it seemed like they had to set up the the exchange between 
you know, the Yellow Jacket, Hank Pym, and Ultron so that they could have, like, a punchline at the end with the, the modern Marvel Now Giant Man and Ultron. You know, they, they sort of had to create that backstory from scratch in order to have the 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 gut punch across time frames, I suppose. Like, those... The, the way those are, yeah. you know, I mean, I don't know, it, 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 in some sense it was kind of a bit artificial, I thought, you know, like that the, it wasn't anything that they actually did in the, the past Avengers comics. It was like, oh, here's an untold story from the past where Hank Pym and Ultron have this father-son talk, and now, flash forward to the future where they have another father-son talk that refers to that other father-son talk that we just created out of thin air, you know, like that's kind of what it felt like to me. It, it, I mean, yeah, the issues brought up in this story, like, I think are lightly touched on, like, over the years, like, like Hank Pym being sort of like a father figure to Ultron, or, or Ultron being some sort of, like, dark reflection of Hank Pym, but, uh, like, I don't think they're, they're given as much, like, gravity as they are in this story. Yeah, they, I mean, they really seem to hit you over the head with it, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's quite... I mean, it, it, you know, they they go out of their way to call each other father and son, and you know, the the, the even I, one one thing I was minorly familiar with because I had kept up with not not the current version of Uncanny Avengers, but I had read some of the previous Uncanny Avengers. Sorry, listeners, I know this must be confusing, but I read the previous, you know, the one with like Wolverine and Cap and Rogue and Scarlet Witch and Thor and. Sunfire, right? Havoc. And yeah, and Havoc, yeah. And, and and the reason why some of that was familiar, familiar to me is when, when Hank and Janet have this conversation about children, you know, and, and, and I guess Janet is trying to relate to Hank because, you know, Hank is talking about his, his role in creating kind of a, uh, a son that he sort of, you know, there, there is that, that element to their relationship where he feels like he, he hasn't done right by this son, even though the son is kind of evil. But I mean, I guess he's still holding himself to that higher standard where if I had only just said the right thing or done the right thing or treated him a little differently, maybe he wouldn't become this, you know, murderous douchebag. Like he's still kind of clinging on to that notion that, that he could have done something to uh, alter the outcome of, of the way things went and and I think Janet responds to him about the sort of weird future where her and Havoc had children and, you know, she was trying to basically, you know, relate to him. Like, I, I don't think I got quite that far into the run, but I, I sort of was vaguely familiar. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, her and Havoc were, like, starting a thing and, you know, that, that, that developed into them having kids in some kind of alternate Kang timeline or whatever the hell was going on with that, so... No, the first thing I kind of thought of when after I had read it was, I mean, I was, man, like how many Ultrons were shot into space? Like, you know, you got the one that becomes like joins with the Phalanx yeah. like during Annihilation, and then you got this one who like eventually lands on Titan and you know takes over the entire planet. And I'm sure there's something else. Like, but well, I was didn't like, they, man, they, like, they they shot him into space in that West Coast Avengers that. Yeah, that's right. We just read, we just too. Read. Yeah. I mean, uh, the next time we saw him, he was in the sewers, so maybe the rocket was pointed in the wrong direction, but, you know. <laughs> it was one of those, like, Mole Man rockets. Yeah, yeah, that I guess. Just shot, just direct shot, shot into directly the into the ground or some shit, but he, the, the, the goal rocket, was that uh, they rocket. were going to send him into space, so. Yes. 
It's like, looks like Ultron is blasting off again. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you feel about this, but uh, Sabretooth is right up there with like, I don't know, Wolverine and Luke Cage and whatever Bendis Avengers there are. Jessica Jones, like you know, people that I'm just like, you're not a fucking Avenger. Yeah. When I saw Sabretooth, I was just like, when the fuck? I mean, I know I'm an asshole because, like, most times, in in most cases, I'm like, you haven't been reading this? What the fuck's wrong with you? You should know. But, you know, I'm kind of like, when did this happen? And, like, why the Sabretooth? Like, come on, man. Like, I don't know. You lost it, pal. Ten years ago, I never could have got this close. I mean, I guess it's because Wolverine's dead, right? So they have to have some clawy asshat. And also, like, Sabretooth is good, quote-unquote, good now, because he's one of the few guys who was left uh, switched after Axis. Oh, oh, okay, I totally didn't pick up on that. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. he's he's been, quote-unquote, inverted or whatever. So, so. yeah, I remember you explaining that to me, since I sort of totally, I I think I, I read the first issue of that and have neglected to read anything else of it but well, I, I remember it, I, you explaining that to me that that I, it was like tony was sort of evil and different people kind of retained their their swaps after the event or whatever. yeah i just can't wait for the day like cap comes in he's like i'd like for everybody to give a big hand to the most honored and esteemed member of the avengers mephisto everyone mephisto <laughs> yeah it's like, it's an honor to be here. I'll take your souls. <laughs> but um, I, I do agree with you, Derek. It feels off. And I mean, if, if, if he is, like, good and they, like, you know, if he is, like, seeking redemption or whatever, why don't they just fucking pawn him off on the X-Men? Like, holy crap. Like, he's, like, he's your issue now. Like, why, why is he with the Avengers? Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't even get it. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I mean, he had some moments, like, I, I mean, th- there was, there was some kind of moment he had between, like, him and Vision, and, and it was about, you know, something about, you know, oh, can we, can we get these guys, but it's like, oh, no, we have to do the good thing, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right, like, you know, doing good kind of sucks sometimes, or whatever, you know, or whatever, but, yeah. like, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't hate Sabretooth, I just don't understand, like, you know, it'd be the same thing if they decided to make, like, uh, you know, Eddie Brock Venom an Avenger or, or you know, I don't know. Just I'm, I'm just trying to think of somebody who was, like, super popular that is not generally considered part of the Avengers franchise, but is also mostly considered evil. <laughs> like, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I guess I guess that's part of the problem. Like, I'm not keeping up with that that. Uh, arena of the Marvel Universe. So, I mean, what you're saying to me, oh, okay, he's he's inverted. He's like a good guy. So it's like, oh, okay, well, then I, you know, that 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 brings a little more light as to the why, but it, it's still a little kind of, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is, I, I guess that team too. Like, I mean, how, what did you think of the way certain characters were written? Like, do you feel they're in character for the way they're, they're going with that run. Um, you know, I don't know. Like I, I, I felt like vision and Sam Wilson, like all felt like not, not quite wrong, but it it just felt like they had gone through stuff that I just wasn't privy to. They didn't feel like the same 
characters that I had read previous to this. And, and you know, part of that might be my own fault because I'm not keeping up with the title. But, I mean, I, I thought Vision was a little too quick to, you know, it, it, it seemed like it was this very, how should I put it, you know, this very robot-centric point of view or, or synthoid centric point of view or whatever where he was very quick to point the finger at, at Hank Pym. I guess there's this instance where, you know, they're they're fighting these these other synthesoids or robots or androids or whatever the hell they are, and Hank Pym's ultimate solution is I, I press the off switch. And in the vision's mind it's like, Well you murdered them, you killed them. Blah! You know, and it's just like, Alright, calm the fuck down. Like they're in the middle of saving the world. You know, he did what he thought he had to do and you know, I don't know. It, it just seemed like there there was a lot of maybe inflated or artificial conflict thrown into the the book. I don't I, know. What I guess your, I'm. What was your take on that? I'm equally guilty, I guess, of not keeping up. Like, I didn't read that series, Avengers AI. Okay. Which I okay. yeah. Um. I read, I, I read I, a I, few I, issues of that. I don't know that I kept up with it though. Well, I think that kind of explains maybe Vision's more like pro-synthesoid or okay. pro-artificial okay. intelligence bent as of late. But I don't know. Um, it seems like Rick Remender often like tends to lean on the more like nihilistic or like depressing side of things sometimes, and I, I or just more extreme side of things basically and I think that's just kind of reflected in in this and in, in both his like portrayal of Vision and Hank Pym and I I don't know like I, I don't know if it works so well like I I can see it working like in terms of the characters but not in terms of like where I last read them basically Yeah there there's some some I I know there was some confusion as to the placement of of when this story actually happens too. again, you know, bringing into the whole continuity police nonsense or whatever. But I mean, obviously this is supposedly a standalone graphic novel, but I guess if you haven't been keeping up with cap and the mighty Avengers, the uncanny Avengers and all these other titles that we've been mentioning, you you know, you, you may feel as we do, you may be a little, uh, unfamiliar with with the character's current status quo or mindset and, and those kind of things. And then also, uh, I mean, I guess, when does this, like, I, I think it was insinuated that this might actually take place after the Secret Wars event, which is currently Yeah, they, they said it, it is post-Secret yeah, Wars. Yeah, so, so there's, I guess there's that aspect to it, whatever that means. I mean, I guess, I guess it has to be after Secret Wars, because Hank Pym was in Hickman's Avengers run, and, you know, spoilers, I guess, but he's, he's not merged with Ultron. So, yeah. and, and at the end of this, at the conclusion of this story... I mean, the, the, I guess, you know, I, I guess it's a natural progression of our podcast and what we're talking about, because, you know, Mike has brought up Remender's tendency to focus on the nihilistic and what is more nihilistic than your hero merging with your villain and being this kind of self-loathing. I, it's this kind of self-loathing and self-deprecating kind of circumstance. I don't know. It's, it seems a bit backwards. I, I just for, for I, I, I would. I what I how I rationalize it is like he's he's hit a bad patch in his like bipolar disorder or something because he's really fucking like miserable throughout this whole story and like 
I don't know. He hadn't, he, it doesn't seem like he had been this low for a long time. Like he seemed very like, even, even when in mighty Avengers and stuff, when he thought like Jan had been, it was dead and stuff. He seemed at least he was focused on like, like forging forward and, Avengers Academy is like the out, like the logical extension of that, and it seems like he had got, gotten to a healthy place, like mentally. But when this opens up, he's like right back to being like a, he's like insecure. He's like thinking everyone's like judging him, and he's very like depressed and cold to everyone, basically. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's either a case of you know the events of of Arena and and uh, Undercover, you know did not reinforce that moving forward or that Remender just didn't read any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one yeah. or the other where it's like, you're, you're kind of one. Uh, I kind of wonder, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to like some of my thoughts on, on certain situations. Like it's funny. It makes me think of my review for battle fever J where, you know, they have the scene where the, the Japanese intelligence officer, you know, was smuggling out secret plans, but then he feels so guilty about it. He takes a stick of dynamite, goes into the the bad guy's base, and blows himself up. But I'm like, dude, you've got two kids. Like, you don't, you know, you you cannot make that decision to blow yourself up if you've still got these kids to raise. And, and I feel like, in terms of of Hank Pym, like, yes, they're not his kids to raise per se. But you know, I mean, you're you're dealing with all this continuity, schmontinuity from Axis and all this other crap. But it's like somehow those kids from undercover get overlooked. I mean, who was the one they called when they were deep in the middle of the shit in undercover? It's like, you know, hazmat called Hank Pym. It's like, now what are they going to do? Call fucking merged Ultron Pym in the middle of space. And he's like, Oh, I'm an asshole. Don't call me. I'm right (laughs) by the sun. Fuck off. You know, or whatever. It's like, I don't know. It feels kind of, you know, I mean, I don't know what the status quo with those kids is going to be after Secret Wars or whatever, but, you know, I mean, you know, it just seemed like there, there's some kind of, I mean, he didn't make the decision to merge with them. I mean, it was an accident or whatever, but, you know, it was in the midst of this battle and him and the Vision were trying to, Ultron and the Vision were trying to merge and then Vision looked like he was causing like complete agony for Ultron. And then Ultron was like, aha, a sucker fooled you or whatever. And he sort of merges with, with. Hank Pym, and then at that point, it just seems like their their self loathing kind of corresponds, and he just I don't know. It's almost like he can't stand to look at himself, so he just like flies off into space to be like you know, don't look at me, don't look at me, and then he flies into space. You know, like that's and this is yeah, like well, what's his name? Star Fox kind of uses his love power on him or yeah, whatever, yeah, it makes him like freak out basically. Yeah. But I don't, yeah, I don't know, like. I won't say it was poorly written, but it it certainly wasn't anything I really wanted to see because, as you guys know, like, I'm a fan of Hank Pym and, like, I kind of, like, I love, like, Mighty Avengers and Avengers Academy and, like, basically that he... He's he started to like find a a good role for himself and maybe maybe eventually kind of shed the stigma that has stuck with him like ever since he quote unquote you know hit Jan or you know well I guess there is no quotes that's what the art shows but it was I don't think it was the intention and it yeah. certainly has been like blown out of proportion over the years and I don't know um I think. 
this was this was pretty I thought it was like well written but it just wasn't something I wanted to read basically do you think this is uh, basically a an edict or a reflection of the fact that we are having an Ant-Man motion picture that features Scott Lang so they want to kind of push Hank Pym under the carpet a little bit in the main universe now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, and not only that, but I think, like, the the merged Pym-Ultron entity will eventually reappear and, like, somehow be just like James Spader or something, like, when he mm. comes back. Mm. So, like, okay. yeah, the, I wouldn't be surprised if that turns out to be it. Like, yeah. He has, like, a human sense of humor or something. He cracks jokes and throws banana pies in people's faces. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there has been enough, you know, yeah. that's, that's how Ultron rolls now. Uh, he's he's a wacky, funny guy. Um, yeah, I, I I think I agree with you that that it's 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 well written. I I I feel like I'm a broken record. I mean, I feel like Rick Remender is like the Dan Jurgens of Marvel. You know, like he, he he's he's a competent writer. He writes some good stuff, but it's not always like excellent or you know, the most awesome thing ever. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it, yeah. it, it's like, it's it's pretty competent. It's it's well done. He gets his point across. We understand what he's trying to say, you know, uh, but I, I've just never been like, oh, yeah, you know, like when it comes to that, it's just kind of like, okay, it was, <laughs> it was, it was all right, you know, like, but I mean, well, when, I, I when, sort of agree with you where, you know, there were things that I saw that I didn't necessarily want to see, you know, I didn't want to, see Sabretooth as a member of the Avengers. I, I don't really, you know, since I haven't been keeping up with it, I haven't seen the transition of, of Sam Wilson, the Avenger, to Sam Wilson, Captain America, leader of the Avengers. So to me, that's kind of a, a shock to the system, just in the sense that, like, I'm like, oh, wow, this is new, you know, <laughs> like, kind of like, I get that that's where they're, they're, they're leading the character to, but since I didn't sort of go on the journey, I guess, which is my own fault. Like to me, it's like all of a sudden. So, so there was that kind of weird thing going on. And yeah. then, you know, there's, you know, th there were a, n a number of things, especially with the modern incarnation of the Avengers where I was just kind of like, huh, like, all right, well, you know, th this is something I'm either going to have to read up on or, or it'll take some getting used to, you know, if, if they let me get used to it, you know, before there's another status quo shakeup. I mean, one one thing I will give Remender credit for is that he always writes Spider-Man as being like super competent and like like a, a valuable member of any team, and you know I, I think that was reflected in this story like pretty well. Like I think Spider-Man never looks like a schmuck or anything. Like Slot would yeah. probably write him, or and you know he seemed like he he seemed like a like a like more experienced member of the Avengers basically, where you know he covers for people and he he sort of had like all he suggests good ideas and you know him and him and like i'm, I'm calling him captain falcon now because uh in that panel where like captain where where he he punches like the new ultron and he's like you're not hank pym like in my head i i thought falcon punch <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's a good spread too like it's it, yeah. it's a good uh, uh, I I almost feel like like this 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 story was written before like a lot of this stuff occurred because 
it seems almost like maybe it was supposed to be Steve Rogers in this story instead of like Sam Wilson, but because mm-hmm. I, I don't like, I've never gotten the impression that like, not that I think I can I can recall a lot of instances where they interacted, but I've never gotten the impression like Sam Wilson and Hank Pym like got along or anything or or, or at that least they were they, were they had any kind of other than a yeah, like connection relationship. Yeah, I can I can sort of see that. I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess you could argue when he first joined the team wasn't wasn't Hank around when Guy Ritchie first put him on the team or am I misremembering cuz that, yeah. that stupid cartoon, but yeah, you know, I mean, in whatever case, it, it didn't. It, it wasn't a strong enough impression. Yeah, basically. yeah, no, no. I mean, I I agree with you because I think that's part of my double take to it. It's not so much like, oh, what Sam Wilson is Captain Falcon now? Lame. It's like that's not my thing. It's just I'm just kind of like, well, you know, this seems kind of like when 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 did he care so much about Hank Pym? You know, and it, it does seem. In that moment, you know, he's like, you're not Hank, you know, and he's got this big moment. But you're, you you kind of wonder, where did that come from? Did I miss something? Like, were they buddies? Like, did they become better buddies somewhere? Like, like, you, you, like you're saying, was that supposed to be Steve Rogers? Because it would have made more sense if it was Steve Rogers, you know. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. There, there, there are moments like that where I just, I just question the validity of it, not just because of did, did you earn that moment, you know, as opposed to just kind of slotting it in and penciling it out, you know, where you're like, okay, yeah, we're going to have this moment, and it's going to be awesome, and he's going to punch him, and it's going to be all full of drama and this denouement, and it's going to be great. And you're just like, okay, but did did you build up to that? Like, did you earn it? Like, yeah. And in some sense, it's like, it's more paint by the numbers. It's competent. You get what he's trying to evoke and, and put across to you as, as a reader, but I don't know that it's necessarily earned, you know? So, yeah. And as you were mentioning earlier, like, I think you said it, it wasn't very subtle, basically, what between like between Ultron and Hank Pym, and I kind of I thought it was ironic that like Kurt Busiek wrote the foreword mm. to this story, and I was kind of like like where it ends up, where like Ultron and Ultron kind of has that huge speech to Hank Pym, where he's like, you know, I'm your, you know, all that self-loathing you had that you put into me, and you be, like I'm a reflection of you, and I'm I'm kind of like. You know, Kurt Busiek wrote that story already, but he had the good grace not to, like, say that stuff, like, all out loud. Like, you, you would just, you know, the reader would just assume that, basically, or they could draw their own conclusions from it. But, as you said, like, it wasn't as subtle as, like, it could have been, basically. It, I don't know. It, it just seemed, like, really, like I, like I said, uh, Rick Remender tends to focus on the more, like, depressing and nihilistic and fatalistic views on, you know, relationships and, you know, whatever, characterization, basically. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess, I guess you know, it's not, it's not a big ringing endorsement we've got for the graphic novel. Um, I guess, I mean, you know, if, if you want to be up to date on, on the status quo with poor Hank Pym and, and know what, how he got to be this weird merged version of Ultron, then, yeah, I mean, you definitely want to check this out. It's got, it's got a really pretty art. I yeah, mean, I love, yeah. the art was great. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're, you know, I don't know, I, 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 I would not 
be one to endorse this as much, not not as much as we endorsed FF, you know, like, I mean, the FF had some problems, but there are things I'm willing to overlook. I think this has some problems that are kind of inherent and, and are kind of hard to ignore, you know, especially if you're yeah. of the mind that you're like, I like Hank Pym, and it's like, oh, yeah, a graphic and... novel featuring Hank Pym? It's like, what happens? He gets ass-raped and merged with Ultron, and he's yeah, a like... self-loathing fuck, you know, and it's like, well, that's, that's, uh, you know... And... You know, there's there's the there's been a stigma attached to the character for like decades now, and it, like if this is the last word on Hank Pym, then like he's a failure, basically. Yeah. yeah. Forget it. Like no one's ever gonna remember anything about well, him other it, than he failed. It, it's you know, kind of you know what I kind of feel like. I kind of feel like did you fuckers ever learn anything from Parallax? Like I mean, you know, it's like it's like it's like you do that, and it'll take fucking years to get the. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could just you know, knowing them, if they stick fucking Michael Douglas in his own movie or some stupid shit, then next week it'll be like, Hank Pym's cool, he doesn't beat bitches, and he's not a robot, yay! Or whatever, but, you know, I don't know, it just seems like if there's not some other driving force to get that stuff done, he could be in this Ultron merged limbo for years, and then you're just or, like, oh, I bet, uh, I bet if they do unmerge him, it'll be like, like, oh, his body like aged like twenty years. Now he looks just like Michael Douglas <laughs> or something. Oh, jeez, yeah. But, I used to be a young man. Now Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> now I'm old, and I'm married to Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah. I, I know. I know what brought all this on. Like Hank Pym must have broken up with Tigra. I That's guess. why he's all depressed. Yeah. <laughs> it must be. He, he can't get any of that furry uh, goodness anymore, huh? But you need me out there. No, I need you in here. Dry and with your wits about you. Which is another thing that obviously, like, Rick Remender didn't know about because it doesn't even, like, it doesn't, like, all the characters that were immediately in this story are at Hank Pym's, like, quote-unquote, like, funeral at the end. But, like, it seems like no one else is. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like Hazmat's like, what? Uh, yeah. That guy who I said talks like a dad, I'm not going to his funeral. He's but lame. on the bright side, they made him a really spiffy statue. <laughs> <laughs> he got a statue. Yay. Yeah. And it'll it'll go right up next to, like, Dr. Druid's statue. <laughs> Avengers Guard. Yeah, Dr. Druid and Death Cry. He's <laughs> right in the middle. It's like, Yay. It's like, I was a founding Avenger. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Here's your statue you're next to Death Cry. That's great. Here's your fucking statue. You're next to Death Cry and Dr. Druid. You're like, no. You, you know what's kind of insulting about that is that that kind of means they've given up on him, too. Like, not only not only yeah. have the writers given up on Hank Pym, and that's the final word, but, like, the fictional characters in the fictional universe are like, yeah, we're just going to say he's dead because admitting that he turned into Darth Vader, that's... Yeah, that's that's too much for us to handle emotionally because we're not good at that because we're Avengers and we're flawed people and stuff and we're just gonna <laughs> like, we're just gonna sweep like, this shit under the rug and make a statue. I like how fucking Sabretooth is there at the funeral like in a tux <laughs> or whatever. He's like, yeah, I knew Hank Pym. He was a good guy. Like and they should have they should have like the John Romita scene like with the. The stupid, uh, you know, juggernaut and doom crying bullshit at the World Trade Center where fucking Sabretooth is just sitting there. He's shedding tears. He's like, I knew that Hank Pym. He was a guy. He he slapped them bitches good. 
<laughs> yeah, remember when I tried to kill Luke Cage? Hey, good times, poor Hank. <laughs> I remember back when Spider-Man's webbing, uh, it was painful for me to tear it off my face. That was before I had a healing factor. Good times. And the, the black go, cat could kick my ass, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, obviously, this was not as... It, it was impactful, but not in a... Not in a necessarily a, a positive manner with us. You know, it probably tugged on some cords and hit some strings and rubbed us the wrong way at points and stuff like that. So I guess that's that's kind of the final word on Rage of Ultron. It installed some rage oh. in all of us. You know? I think, well, uh, like, I just pre-ordered the new, like, Marvel Infinite Marvel Legends uh, Ant, uh, Giant Man figure. So I think I'll take that in one of my Ultron figures and put them in a blender together and see what comes out. So You mean you're not going like, to like spray paint it and just make it a statue? Like uh... <laughs> No. Or I'll just put them in the microwave together and they'll just slowly like melt together. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. You know, that, that, that's a pet peeve of mine where they're like, we've got you the brand new figure that everybody wanted. Oh, by the way, he's dead. <laughs> Forget, like, I don't want a friggin', like, Pimtron figure. I want them to make a, an actually good, regular Ultron figure. Like, they haven't yet. That's true. They got that up, like, they got that upcoming, what, like, final Ultron from the movie, but, yeah, I don't even, no. I want, I want comic book. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like they have all these decent head sculpts out there, but then they stick them on, like, that titanium man body or the, the yeah. ultimate beetle body or whatever. It's like, come on, stop using reuse crap. Like, make us, make us our own goddamn Ultron body. Thank you very much. They'll probably make a Captain Falcon figure before, you know, a new Ultron or whatever. So. Well, they'll make 15 other Ultrons after this. They just all won't be, like, the Ultron that you want. It'll be like... That's true, yeah. The, the Ultron with, like... It'll be like, hey, look, we put it on the Savage Hulk body. Isn't this awesome? Reef. <laughs> what <laughs> sense does that make? I don't know. I don't know. if we know. It's, it's a buff Ultron, yeah. Remember that scene in the movie where he's buff? No? Okay, here you go. You would think for a character who's obviously like popular enough to put into a fucking movie, they could at least give him like one classic interpretation. It's not like they haven't tried. It's just like all their attempts aren't like good, really. Yeah, I wish there was some way yeah. to blow up that that three and three quarters Secret Wars version of the Marvel Universe figure because that one had kind of a, a close enough classic looking body, but something along those lines for the the legend scale, but yeah. Well, the Marvel Select one isn't too bad. He's just not in a good scale. Yeah, I, I guess a lot of people do supplement their Legends collection with that Select version. Ultron's taller, whatever, shut up. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously we, we like the, the characters and everything, but I guess we just, we reacted a little adversely to to the graphic novel. But I guess we should wrap up, unless there's any final thoughts on Rage of Ultron. Like I said, it had nice art, so, and I, I mean, I thought it was written well, but it, yeah, if you're a fan of any of these characters, you might not really dig it like we didn't, so. I'm like, Star Fox uses the fifth element, and then, uh, yeah. And then Man, this, this, this book had two Nintendo characters in it, Captain Falcon and Star Fox. Falcon Punch! Barrel Roll! <laughs> Show me a moves! I guess we'll we'll move on to... Our regularly scheduled segment, which is, what is awesome in your world this week? 
If you're not familiar with the segment, it's just a segment where we like to discuss something. It could be a book or a comic or a toy or a video game or something, just something that kind of tickled our fancy, something that we think is cool and we want to share with the rest of you, our listeners. So I will start with Mr. Tony Jackson. What is your awesome thing of the week, my man? I am I'm, I, I'm wonderfully great at being late to the party on everything. And after it's been out in theaters and on DVD, Blu-ray for months, I was like, I'm going to watch Big Hero 6. Is it the best thing ever? I don't think so. But is it a really fun, entertaining movie? Yeah, I had fun with it. It's uh, it's definitely more children's-based. I mean, it's not, you know, super dark and gritty. But it is superheroes. It is loosely based on the Marvel comic. I mean, it's got the same characters. They're tweaked for a younger audience. And it's just a good time. Really good animation. I, I think, if anything, that's why it won the uh, Academy Award for Best Animation Film. Not because it had a better story than whatever Pixar put out last year, which I think was like, I don't know, one of those fucking Planes movies or some shit. But yeah, it was fun. It was enjoyable. You know, I, I definitely like popped it in. You know, popcorn movie action was good. Fun characters. Some good jokes. And there was definitely some stuff that like kind of sticks with you, so... Yeah, you know, uh, definitely awesome that I finally got to see something everybody had been telling me about, and I enjoyed it. So, you know, that's never bad. Sometimes you get the hype and you don't get anything out of it. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was okay, you know. I, I uh, For the most part, I enjoyed it. I mean, I remember kind of thinking about the uh, the whole, you know, don't kill, you know, <laughs> like do not give in to the vengeance, you know, or whatever. But other than that, like I was pretty much on board for most of the movies, so... I mean, it's it's entertaining and everything like that. Just just needed more sunfire, like any sunfire at all, and it would have been good. <laughs> sunfire and silver samurai and a bunch of other characters you can't use because uh, they are tied up with uh, fox fox legal rights. So, yeah, I won't. What about you, Mike? What is your awesome thing in your world this week? I actually have three quick things. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, in, in in the world of TV, uh, Game of Thrones this past week was awesome, and it was probably like the best episode of the season so far. And the season's been pretty dull so it, far. It's so. their it's their obligatory like SmackDown battle episode that it yeah. usually gets into throughout the course yeah. of whatever season there is. Was a, and like I was like, winter finally came a little. Like win, winter's pants were moistened. Yeah, winter's pants. Yeah. So that yeah, that, that, that was supposed to be coming for like five years, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like when like my mom even asked me, she was like, "When does winter come?" Like I I've been waiting for it. Like what 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 does that even mean? And I'm like I I assume it's when the White Walkers attack, but they finally attacked a little. So yeah, this past week's episode was awesome, but um. My second thing is uh, also a comic book that came out this past week. Uh, something we had discussed, me and Derek discussed before. Um, GI Joe versus Transformers number seven was awesome. Like uh, <laughs> usually, that, that that comic is really scattershot. Usually, like there's a ton of ideas being thrown at you, but this was actually a very like singular, like character focused issue and. It, it was kind of a take on that the Springfield episode with Shipwreck. Okay. But instead of instead of Shipwreck, it was like Scarlet was the main character, and she was kind of trapped in this like fantasy world. And 
it w- it had a lot of like Frank Miller references, a lot of like uh, Barry Windsor Smith homages, and uh, like, I don't know. It was just a very like well constructed issue, and I enjoyed reading it quite a bit. And then um, my third thing is people who have listened to this podcast for a long time might have recalled might recall one of our earliest episodes where we talked about favorite obscure comic book characters, and I named mine as Citizen V. Well, Citizen V's coming back because Marvel just released a teaser for like in their pog post- form. In pog form, oh, yes. Oh no. yeah. But they, Marvel released a teaser for their post Secret Wars universe, and Citizen V's on it, and I'm like, oh yeah. So, you know, <laughs> my 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 fervent hopes like paid off, and I didn't even have to do anything. So, so suck it, Justin. Like Swordsman wasn't on that <laughs> teaser, but Citizen V was. <laughs> Uh, and neither was Madcap, so you suck it too, Derek. Tony, you're cool. What was your Marvel character, Tony? I can't even remember. Uh, I, wasn't it Speedball? Uh, it was Speedball, like so speedball. You, you get to suck it too, because Speedball wasn't yeah, on there Yeah, he's not on that teaser either, yeah. <laughs> if all y'all can suck it, because my guy's on there and your guy's aren't. But no, whatever it is, what uh, I'm still like wary about it because I'm sure it'll end up like disappointing me somehow. But it's still cool that he's there, and I've always liked that costume design. So I, I was just really happy to see him. And you know, when Marvel Now first was announced, there wasn't like a lot that I was excited about. But now this latest initiative, I'm at. Oh, at least there's something that made me go like, oh, I'm gonna have to like check that out. So yeah, cool. So, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting nice. to see who the who, who the creative team is, if that's in, just in relation to Citizen V, or if it's something to do with Thunderbolts, or, you know, and then in tandem, like, who knows, maybe that means we could see, like, a Citizen V legend or something, too, if it yeah, really takes off. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, all that stuff seems like that'd be fun, so I, I'm, I'm happy for you, like, that is cool. And then it gets canceled after six issues like New Warriors. Suck it, Mike! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a likely outcome, I admit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Who knows? Maybe it'll be awesome. Maybe it'll be like like uh, Fractions Hawkeye, and it'll be this cool thing where everybody be like, I never liked Citizen V, but this comic is the tits. You know, like it'll yeah. be like that or something. You know, you never know. It'll 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 be. We'll see. It'll I, be like it'll it'll be like all those posers who are like you know Captain America's cool now. Like, like yeah. what the hell are you talking about, man? Yeah, Captain America's mean, always been cool. What do you mean now, motherfucker? <laughs> so uh, I guess I'll do uh, my awesome thing of the week real quick. I've been getting a lot of stuff in this week, but one of the the cooler things that came in this week was from. Mandarake, and I've been trying to finish off my Ultra Act collection, and I've been getting, you know, various figures and everything, and I've actually, I'm pretty up to date with most of the current ones, but some of the ones that are a little harder to come by are some of the older monster figures, and that's because the boxes are a bit bigger, and I actually kind of started noticing that, because I was even asking professor smooth on the boards i'm like did japan change their shipping rates like i was like why why do i have to pay so much in shipping and and i realized when i got the boxes like the basically what i got was the 
the Ella King uh, Ultra Act, which is one of Ultraman's more famous monsters. He, I mean, basically, it's like imagine if Godzilla was fucking Pikachu. Like that's that's Ella King. Like he's this gigantic, <laughs> monstrous, like yellow electrified, you know, monster, and he spits fucking electricity out of his mouth, he grabs you with his tail, and he electrocutes you, so that's that's basically what Ella King is, and uh, the Ultra Act is, is pretty cool, I mean, I, I imagine, I only have a Godzilla monster arts, but, I mean, I would imagine, I mean, it, it's very big, it comes in a huge box, and then he's got this huge long tail, and he's actually got alternate tails, so, like, one tail, you can, like, you know, swing around like a regular tail and smack somebody upside the head, but then there's another tail where when you put it on the back end, it actually wraps around, like, say, Ultra 7 or, you know, whoever he's fighting and everything, and you can put these little electrical charges on it so it looks like he's, you know, squeezing them to death while he's electrocuting them and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he's got the either the solid mouth or, you know, where he's shooting the electricity, you know, out of his mouth and everything like that. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty cool, and um, that was one of my more awesome things of the week um, that I just, you know, I just figured that was probably the best thing that I got in because it's it's pretty cool looking. It's it's fairly decently articulated, and I think also maybe because I have a frame of reference. Because what's funny is one of the figures I got off of eBay, somebody sent me one of the kind of vinyl Ella King figures, and the vinyl figures, of course, are nowhere near as detailed or articulated. So I think having that basis of comparison, it's like night and day where you're like, holy crap, like this Ultra Act is awesome, you know, because it's like super posable, highly articulated and has a bunch of cool accessories and everything. So compared to that, the vinyl figure that I had before, like it's it's, you know, a vast improvement as well. So. That is my awesome thing of the week. Uh, those were Tony and Mike's awesome things of the week. Of course, we like to put those out there on the spindle for you to check out. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, send us an email at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are on the fanholesblogspot.com, and you can also find us on various social media. We are on iTunes. As I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, I forget I'm supposed to pimp out the iTunes things. If you like us, leave us a review on iTunes, because apparently that makes everything super cool in the world and, you know, gives more viewership of the actual podcast and everything like that. So if you have an iTunes account, you know, and you want to leave us a review, that'd be awesome. Um, we are on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio, you can stream it, so, you know, you don't have to download or anything, and it's like you're listening to the radio on the Internet. But it's us. It's the fan holes. Like, you're listening to us right now, but you're streaming us. So that's what Stitcher is, and we are on Stitcher Radio. And we are on Facebook. Thanks for all the likes and feedbacks and everything on Facebook. I'm having a good time uh, chatting and conversing with uh, a lot of different people that we've met either, you know, just through different interactions, other podcasts and stuff on Facebook. So it's a it's a great place to uh, correspond with fellow podcasters and things like that. So we are on Facebook. We, of course, appreciate all the likes and shares. Thanks, Boove. Boove does some shares. And thanks, Jan. Jan does a lot of shares. So appreciate those. And we are on Twitter. Uh, if you saw a slew of Twitter tweets from us recently, it's because sometimes we forget that we actually need to tweet 
the show when we release it. But there's tons of tweets on there now, so you can totally see all those tweets. I think that's, you know, Tumblr, Instagram, um, anything else, Tony? Uh, I think you covered all the big uh, bases. Um, all right, cool. Yeah, so, yep. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're on all that good social media stuff. So, yeah, until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC. You cut those crusts off my sandwich or I will choke you like a bitch signing off. It's Mike, also signing off, and I I like crusts. I mean, I wouldn't freak out. I'm, I'm cool like that. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, this is Tony, coming this fall, Madcap. <laughs> um, all new, all different Madcap. No, that's kind of scary. <laughs> again. We, we don't know where we're going with the all new all different. He makes mistakes. I ain't saying he's forgiven, but reality he faces got him seeing double vision. Mixed history on a date with Miss Misery. Throw your hubcaps up if you feel a me. Midas touch, you never size enough. Tries to help him fight the good fight, but never quite the stuff. So he's sick and tired with it. Now he finds his wife is sleeping with a shape-shifting visitor, making robot villains. Now he's teaching sinister kids up at the academy. He's got a rough life. If you're asking me And every time I thought I saw my life I seem to never get this damn thing right I can't prepare the marriage with my wife I can't sleep all alone at night I used to be a superhero life Was all surrounded by the fame and lights And now I know that nothing turns out right That's why I'm Hank Pym, spell my name right Getting bigger, getting smaller Pull the trigger, cause I'm a baller I'm in my laboratory working harder Like I'm Hank Pym, no I'm getting smarter again. Uh, This is Tony, coming this fall You have Madcap, Swordsman, Citizen V, and Speedball The all new, all different, Fantastic Four <laughs> <laughs> Number one seller Fox will totally like try to make a movie out of it <laughs> and there'll be all kinds of rights issues after that. And there'll be lots of fighting. Uh, sorry, guys. You, they'd, they'd be lucky to be like the new secret defenders. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Strange needs uh, his ass scratched, so he called in Madcap, Swordsman, Speedball, and Citizen V. It's like, who's the best out of them all? Citizen V, because he's got a sword that can scratch the ass. And Mike wins again, and everybody else can suck it. That must be a bad day for Swordsman if he doesn't have a sword. <laughs> I forgot. He's like, we can't I, scratch the day, when he's dead. Derek forgot Swordsman had the sword. <laughs> Come on, it's in his name. If, 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 let's say, if he only had a name that told you what he did. <laughs> sorry, Justin. We're sorry, Justin.